Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, with all authority, does not speak on human authority. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. In the same manner, in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all authority, enters into Capernaum under orders from his Father to muzzle, dominate, and overwhelm all opponents of the Gospel, exercising absolute divine authority over them, silencing the false teachers, the demons found in the village of grace akin to paul's opponents the false brethren in galatians and the outside authorities in 1 corinthians who work against the lord's gospel to increase their glory on the backs of the weak for whom christ died Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 31 to 35. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 499 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Last week, as you recall, Rich, I expressed some hesitancy about the imposition of the two words, his way, on the Greek eporevato. The reason I struggled with this is that the word way is a technical term in the New Testament. We explained that on the one hand, it doesn't mention that he was thrown off a cliff. And we will have something more to say about the word katakrimnise on today's program, because it's difficult in translation. But as Father Paul said in his most recent episode of Tarazi Tuesdays, the responsibility, always, of the teacher is to make every effort to let the people hear the original, let the people hear the text. 
So I did a little bit of work on this term in Greek. Once again, looking at the Hebrew, looking at which term it corresponds to in the Hebrew text. Not the Masoretic, but the Hebrew, the consonantal text. I want to keep stressing that we are talking about the original Hebrew, not the vocalized Hebrew. Because once it's vocalized, it's interpreted. So it's always important, even if you're looking at the Masoretic, strip away the vocalization and try to, as someone who may or may not know Hebrew, try to make a decision on your own about what the text is saying, not what someone is telling you it's saying. In any case, when you look at this word in Greek, in verse 30, it corresponds to halak, which means to walk. So you can imagine why they would say his way. However, it appears again very quickly in verse 36 in the form ex erchonte and in verse 37 in the form ex eporeveto. And in this form, it corresponds to this very interesting verb in Hebrew, yasa, which means to go out, to proceed, but also in its usage in the original text, to produce. So it's not so much about Jesus going his way as the interpreters impose on us in the English text of the New American Standard Bible in verse 30. It's about Jesus going out, proceeding, and as the term is used in the original Hebrew text in the Old Testament, going out and proceeding to produce. He's, in a way, spreading out. It's very powerful. Now, of course, because of the point I've made, not just about Arabic, but about the value of the different Semitic languages that inform our hearing of the authoritative Hebrew text, I want to point once again to the Arabic cognate. Wadu'un in Arabic corresponds to yasa in Hebrew. And interestingly, it means to become beautiful but also to become clean. So if we consider the implication of the cognate by going out, by proceeding to produce in submission to the will of his father, imposed in the synagogue through the recitation, the utterances of the Debarim of Isaiah, Jesus becomes beautiful. How beautiful, Paul says, in his own recitation of the Torah, are the feet of the one who runs, who proceeds to preach the gospel, the teaching of God. So that is what we're talking about here in Luke. It's much more powerful when we are strict in submitting to the terminology of the text. It is to go out. Again, this word wadu'un is also used in Arabic to refer to ritual purification. So there's something here in the language, Richard, that we need to pay attention to. Now, with respect to katakrimniste, 
it's important to pay attention also to the Greek in its own right, because the root is krimnos, which means steep slope. So if you think about it in terms of the preceding passage with the devil, where you have a pinnacle, or you think about it in terms of Nazareth, or any town set upon a hill, Jesus is being kicked out of town. He's being thrown out, thrown down. So we have to understand there is the implication of a slope. Kata means down, right? So you combine these words in Greek. You have to take the whole thing in consideration. But you can't jump and say, ah, cliff. This is the point we're making. All of this requires time and effort to pay attention to the text. Another example to help you understand how translators make a decision on their own for you, shutting you out of the kingdom, as Paul says in Galatians. Consider, for example, Matthew chapter 8, verse 32. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank. Who decides whether it's a slope, a steep bank, or a cliff? Who controls the fabric of the text? How can we, as those hearing the text, see any link between Luke and Matthew in translation? Kata tu krinu, the steep bank. And it's not one word, it's three words. Kata tu so you have to take time and spend time and make the effort with the original text and not trust the interpretation, which is the translation. Rich, you and I were talking about this just the other day, how there is a value for those who don't have access to the original text on their own to begin with a translation, but you can't trust the translation. It's just a place to start with the intention, ultimately, of learning how to handle the original languages or seeking out people who can help you with the original languages. This noun, krimnos, is in the pericopes about the evil spirits entering the swine and then running down this slope slash whatever this high thing is into the sea. It's the only place it appears in the Bible as a noun. It appears elsewhere in Greek literature. I haven't done the research in the other Greek literature. It does appear elsewhere. But this root connects with those nouns, even though this is a verb. Just seeing what the focus of the verb is enough to say, okay, the Greek word technically means sloped him down. The throwing, the casting is assumed in the verb. Just like in English, we have the word defenestrate when you throw somebody out a window. Now, defenestrate comes from the Latin de, meaning from, and fenestras, which means window. The throwing is assumed because people don't usually jump out of the window voluntarily. Okay. So when you defenestrate somebody, you're throwing them out. They cliffed him down. But because of the Greek, it ties it with these other texts. This is why it's important 
to see how the language itself works in the New Testament, because once we understand what's going on here and how Jesus is being thrown out of the town, the evil spirits are leaving the town as well in those other pericopes. So now we have a link through this word, krimnos. This makes me imagine Jesus leaving the city in a way that these evil spirits left. The difference is it was these people who a moment ago were wondering and amazed by Jesus who are now casting him out. Whereas Jesus is casting out these spirits after the spirits were ready to bow down to Jesus as Son of God. Once you bring these images together, new connections are made, but the original connection is with the word in the original language. And that's what we've been focusing on, Father, is making the links that are only found in the original languages. Yes, use the English. I've got no problem with people using the English, but realizing, as you said, Father, that the connections are made in the original language, and the original language's connections cannot be translated into English. It's just not possible. No matter how good of a translator you are, you can't make the connections in English because we, we don't have a word to decliff somebody. It doesn't exist. A translation can't make that connection. So pay attention to the original languages if we can just implore you one more time. The implication of the Hebrew, Yasaw, going out, proceeding, and producing with making something beautiful through ritual purification, Wadu'un in Arabic, it's really striking when you hear the Lucan text talking about the excising of demons, except they imagine that they're purifying their town by kicking Jesus out. They have it backwards. And now we're going to hear about the one whose feet are beautiful, the Lord Jesus, who's carrying the instruction of his father to the next town, coming to have a showdown precisely with the evil spirits. So let's now hear the text of Luke. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. The authority with which Jesus speaks is the authority of the scroll of Isaiah which was put in his hands. It's not his authority. We want to say Jesus speaks on his own authority because we want to say, I am my own reference. I'm an adult now. I want to spread my wings and prove that I can do it. Well, with all due respect, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't spread his wings and prove anything. So who are you? Who the heck are you? I know Jesus and I know Paul. Who are you? Jesus is under his father. His reference is his father, and that is where his authority comes from. And it is rock solid. He knows whereof he speaks. And he is teaching with that authority. He is the locum tenens of the Most High God, He's not going to apologize for what he is saying. He knows why he is saying it, and he is not going to back down. And he has no problems with what he is doing. That's why he is beautiful. 
And that's why he's on the move. That's why he doesn't even blink, even though his own kin threw him down. That's why he's pure, even though he was rejected. This is what the text of Luke is telling us in its own terminology, Rich. You are all jealous about what I did in Capernaum, and you say, hey, we want you to do it here. Well, I'm not going to do it. And we were asking the question, what the heck did he do in Capernaum? Because up to that point, he didn't do anything. So here we have him actually going to Capernaum. And what did he do there? He went there and he was teaching on the Sabbaths, which meant Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. He was there for a long time. And they were astonished at his teaching. And as he said, his word was in authority or by authority. So, of course, they're sorting out, you know, where does Jesus stop and the divine word begin or however you want to say that, but they're trying to understand. We, as the reader, know it's not his word. It's the word that was given to him. And that's how many of the prophets begin as well. Hosea was teaching not his word, but the word that was given to him. Same with Joel. Jesus is teaching the word that was given to him. So the authority comes from the one who is on high, the Father, the one who speaks. And God the Father just happens to be speaking with Jesus's mouth in this instance. And the people don't have that quite figured out here. They're a little bit confused. I like how the author of the gospel shows that tension there, his word versus the authority that he teaches by. But again, I'm always nervous about the people when they're astonished, when they are impressed, they're often impressed about the wrong things. But before, when he was talking about the amazing things done in Capernaum to the people in Nazareth, they wanted miracles. That's what they were astonished by. Here, he doesn't do anything except teach. Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. That's all that he does. That's what I love about this image is that Jesus is not doing anything impressive except going, reading out loud to the people and teaching. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing any harm. So this expression in Greek, this term, thimothiti, corresponds in Hebrew to this word hasam, which is a technical term in Deuteronomy, chapter 25. And our listeners should be very familiar with this teaching. It should not be the first time you've heard this instruction on this podcast or hopefully in worship in your local community, whichever church or synagogue you belong to. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4, you shall not tahsom, muzzle an ox while he is treading. Paul talks about this. Paul explains you wouldn't even muzzle an ox. You let the ox eat from his own labor. 
So why wouldn't you let the apostle eat? And here, where you wouldn't muzzle the ox, Jesus is willing to muzzle the demon. This is terminology. In other words, the Lord prefers oxen to the false teacher. You allow the apostle to eat from his own labors, but if someone is spreading lies, you don't allow them to eat. You muzzle them. They are not allowed to eat from whatever they tread. Let them starve. Shut them up. Leave them to die. It's a very harsh silencing. It's not simply a question of don't let them speak. Don't let them eat. Don't let them take any kind of sustenance from their lies. It's powerful. And again, the Hebrew stands on its own, but the Arabic gives that little extra texture. Hazama means not just to muzzle, but to bound up fast, to dominate, to overwhelm. So this is the Lord coming into Capernaum and really shutting up his opponents. Don't open your mouth and speak. I have no patience for false teachers. He's overwhelming and silencing and squeezing and starving the opponent of the gospel. As he is muzzling the mouths of the demons, not allowing them to speak, this is a beautiful contrast with the authority of Jesus's word above. Because when Jesus spoke with authority in Nazareth, everyone had an opinion about Jesus and what he had to say and what they wanted him to do and all this kind of stuff. And they didn't keep their mouth shut. So it, it sounds like the feeling was mutual. Jesus left, you know, they weren't quite able to throw him out, but he left voluntarily. So Jesus was not interested in continuing to talk there because why? If his voice, his word, which has authority, is just mixed up in the midst of a bunch of nonsense, go find a place where people actually want to listen. So he left. So he went to Capernaum. Everyone was amazed but they listened. And the first person to cry out is this unclean demon. And how he addresses Jesus is interesting. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. The demon actually refers to both him being of Nazareth and being of God. This is not a theological statement. This is authority. He's speaking to Jesus of Nazareth, because that's where he was born, that's who he was raised. I mean, Luke said as much. But the demon also recognizes that he was claimed by God as his son. That makes him the Holy One. Not because he was born holy, he was sanctified by God. Because he is declared as the Holy One of God, the one who was declared to be the Son of God, by God. The demon recognizes the source of Jesus's authority. The authority comes from on high. This has nothing to do with Jesus's word. The demon understands his authority. He's not confused. The people, hard to say. The demon gets it exactly. So Jesus, significantly, when he says, don't talk, shut your trap, or tie your trap shut, maybe is a better way of translating it here, the demon never spoke again. This whole business of authority is critical. 
with respect to teaching, I want to keep saying this. Jesus does not speak on his own authority. He has no right, but with respect to the Arabic hazama, he has no right but to dominate and overwhelm and suppress and to muzzle the demon. Because the only voice that must be heard in the village of grace is the voice of God the Father. And this is what is misunderstood in pastoral life. There is no we with respect to community. There is only the I of God the Father. That is what is meant by Shebet. I mentioned this in the intro to one of the podcasts maybe a couple of episodes ago, and I don't want it lost on our listeners. This word for staff, Shebet, which is used technically to refer also to the 12 tribes, is a technical word. You have one staff that refers both to the tribes of Israel and to the staff of the shepherd, which means there aren't 12 tribes. There's one staff and therefore one tribe, which pertains to the one ego of God the Father, Elohim. I would say that this is technically inconceivable, if not impossible, for a Westerner to digest because everybody approaches the question from the perspective of we, the community. We even have an expression in English, there's no I in team. Yeah, yeah, I get it, but that's not functional in Scripture. There is only... I, God, there is no we. And that is how authority functions in Scripture. That is how Jesus is approaching the situation in Capernaum. He is the locum tenens of God, which means there is no we in Capernaum. There is only I, Jesus, which cancels Jesus because he is the functional functionary of his father. That is a hard pill to swallow, but that's how it works. And so therefore he is flexing his muscles to dominate, to overwhelm, to suppress the false teaching of the demon. Be quiet. It's a very direct, Rich. It's very powerful. It's beautiful. And at the same time, in order to do that, he himself was kicked to the curb by his own kin. And one could say that it was the will of God the Father that Jesus be kicked to the curb. So it's not like Jesus is getting, you know, a pedicure in the palace in order to flex this authority. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the beauty of the connection, like I said a moment ago, going down the cliff, just like the demons enter the swine who then leave. Now we go to Jesus casting a demon out of this person simply by saying, shut up and leave. That's how Jesus casts out demons. Shut up and leave. You're done here. And the demon recognizes, I guess my work is done here. I was just told to leave. The demon listens. The people keep having conferences and discussions, but the demon, there is no questions, no qualifications or specifications. 
the demons leave quickly. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.